Today in 2018, the American church has as low or as negative of a perception that it's ever held in our nation's existence. Now what that means is this. Today the church has a very low value in the eyes of many, many people. It has a very low value in the eyes of many people. Many of those people even are professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, a recent poll shows some of these perceptions. A recent poll says that people believe the church has a political agenda, that it oppresses females, that it is intolerant of others' views, that it actively incites hatred and even violence toward others. I also believe that the church serves not as true Christianity, but as a power base for what is called organized religion. Another poll cites that 72% of those that were interviewed believe that the church is full of fakes, that the church is full of hypocrites. That same poll says that 86% believe that having a good relationship with God has no relationship to your participation in his church. Now, I want you to hear that again. Listen to that again. 86% of the people in this survey said that having a good relationship with God has no tie-in to the relationship you have to his church. Now, listen, those are, those are terrible perceptions. Those are, are terrible statistics. But even worse is the truth that our younger generations hold the most negative views of church today. A George Barna study says that 50% of American teenagers are active in church. Now, I don't believe it's, it could be that high. I don't think it's that high. But he says 50% of those from 13 to 19 years of age are active in church. His study says of those 50% that are active, roughly two-thirds of them or 61% of them will become spiritually disengaged. It means they will not read their Bible, they will not pray or attend church in the decade after leaving home. Did you hear that today? Two-thirds of those who are in the church, who are engaged in the church, two-thirds of our kids will become disengaged in the life of the church after leaving home. Now that sounds bad. That sounds terrible. But what exactly does that mean? Folks, here's what that means. It means that in the most important time, in the most vital time, in the most critical time in our world's history, in the time before Jesus returns, and he returns in judgment of those who've not put their faith in him, the church, the voice of the gospel, the voice of the good news of Jesus Christ will have gone silent. Listen today, the gospel is still good news. In fact, it is the only good news. It's the only news by which we're saved. The gospel is still good news and it is still the church that is responsible for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our sermon series is entitled, It is Still the Church. And my prayer, I've been saying this every week, my prayer is that in God's instructing, 
in God's word that we would come alive as the church, that we would be strengthened as the church, that we would be encouraged as the church, and we would stand as the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would truly be the church that he's called us to be. Let me tell you, the greatest thing that could happen in Vernon, Texas, the greatest thing that could happen in Texas, the greatest thing that could happen in our world is for Calvary Baptist Church to be the church that he's called us to be to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today our message is entitled, The Church Under Attack. The Church Under Attack. Today we're in Revelation chapter two, verses eight through 11. Revelation chapter two, today verses eight through 11. I'm gonna ask you if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the celebration of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter two, beginning here in verse eight. Jesus is speaking, he says this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not not be hurt by the second death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we are thankful for Jesus Christ, our hope, our Savior, our Lord. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin that we have through him. Lord, we're thankful for the creation of the church, your institution. I'm thankful in the church that we're encouraged, that we're strengthened, that we're on a mission to lead people to to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we we go through these verses each week, I, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead us. I pray that the folks in this room, the church, that we would, we would again come alive, that we'd be faithful, that we'd be committed to the cause of Jesus Christ, that there'd be a renewed spark and renewed fire and that the good news would shine out. Help us in that. Lord, forgive us where we've been off track. Forgive us where we've been distracted or maybe become apathetic. If you have to, use this to correct us, to realign us. And Lord, I pray the result of all of this is this, Lord that many folks would find Jesus Christ. In this hour, they would find Jesus Christ. In the influence as we go out, that they would find Jesus Christ. As we move through this world, that they would find Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you're glorified in your people, the church, and that many folks would find the peace of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Let it be for that impact, Lord. I pray for now those in this room that do not know you. I pray that in in this hour, in the preaching of the gospel, Today they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for a supernatural result. Lord, we love you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In our series, we are going through Jesus' messages to the seven churches recorded in the book of Revelation. We had a couple weeks for an introduction. Last week we looked at the first church. Today we come to the second message to the church at Smyrna. 
Now today I've broken this section up, these verses up into to four sections for our study today. They are this, the attack on the truth, the attacker of the truth, the result of the attack, and victory from the attack. So again, these four headings for our study today, the attack on the truth, the attacker of the truth, the result of the attack, and victory from the attack. So let's begin this morning going to our verses, starting in verse 8. Starts off and it says this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Now, remember the context here. Remember John is receiving the message from Christ. He is receiving it from Jesus himself. And then he is instructed to to write it or really to transfer it, to, to relay the message to the church. Now, it's going to go to the church through the means of the pastor. Remember, he's called uh, symbolically the angel. And that's, that's what it's talking about there. And so Jesus gives the message to John. He is to write it down and to relay it to the pastor of that local church. And this week, that local church, the Bible says, is in Smyrna. Smyrna was a city on a harbor in modern-day Turkey. In fact, that city still stands. In 1930, it was changed to Izmir, Turkey. It is still a beautiful city there. You can Google that. Go look at that. Two and a half million people live there today. This beautiful city there in modern-day Turkey. Smyrna, at this time, had a great port. It was a popular trade city. Much trade went on there. Uh, especially in olive oil. That was one of their big commodities. And so they would come into the port there and they would sell olive oil. Where Ephesus from last week was known for its arts and its sports and its culture, Smyrna was actually known as a hub for science and medicine. And so that's what they're known for, science and medicine. Now it's an interesting thing. As you look at the culture, there were, there were really two mixes of religion going on there in this city. First off, they worshipped the many pagan gods. And just like a lot of those folks, they, they worshipped all sorts of pagan gods. They, they worshipped the Greek gods, Zeus and Athenos and others. And so they were involved in that pagan worship. But it is very interesting, they were also known, and maybe more than any other city, for their worship, listen to this, of Rome. They actually worshipped Rome. Now, they were a, a close ally of Rome, and they actually built a temple dedicated to the actual worship of the city of Rome. They worshipped Rome. Now, more than that, they also had a temple in that city for the worship of the Roman emperor, Tiberius. And so not only do they have a temple to worship the city, they have a temple there to worship the Roman emperor. After that, they had another temple set up for the, the, Rome, the Roman emperor Domitian. And so this was a city that worshipped Rome and worshipped the Roman leaders. How interesting. They loved the Roman system. They loved the Roman army. There's an account that, that one time the army was stationed somewhere and it was cold and the city people, the city inhabitants took their clothes and carried them out to the army. They, they loved the Roman army. They loved the, the Roman governors and the Caesars even to the point of worship. See this this morning. Their hope was in a government system. 
Their hope was in this Roman government. Their, their hope was in the power of its army, the power of its leaders. Now, starting off, let me say this this morning. Listen very carefully. As Americans, we love our country. I love our country. Yes, listen. I thank God for our country. But we need to understand, especially in 2018, that our hope is not in a system. Our hope is not in politicians. Our hope is not in an army. Our hope is not in a government. Our hope is not in a nation. And as followers of Jesus Christ, our allegiance to and our hope alone is in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Now, by the time this letter is written, the city had made a decree that they would take up a yearly sacrifice for the, for the Roman emperor, Domitian. Those in the city that would not participate in the sacrifice were under the sentence of death. And so that's the culture of this city. They worship the Roman government. They worship the Roman leaders. And they're the, the emperor Domitian. They've taken a, a sacrifice once a year. And if you're not gonna participate, you were under the sentence of death. That is this city. Let me read verse 8 again. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, here we go, listen to this. The first and the last who is dead and has come to life says this. Now the next thing again that we see here is the one who's giving the message. We're going to see Jesus Christ. We're seeing the one who's giving the message. Now how tremendous is it that Jesus is describing himself. Now, I think that's a pretty awesome thing. We're going to see Jesus here, but it's not John's account of Jesus. It is Jesus revealing himself. It is Jesus' description of himself. You see the value of the message and the validity of the message is always tied to the value of the one and the validity of the one who gives the message. And so today we're going to see this picture of Jesus. Let me just say this. If we end this message right here, it's going to be enough. If we end this message with this picture of Jesus, it's going to be awesome enough. Let me tell you, this is an awesome, awesome picture of Jesus. Now, we're not going to end there. We've got some other stuff to look at. But let me tell you, this is going to be an awesome, awesome picture of Jesus. It says this. Jesus says, the one that is first and the last. The first and the last. Now, understand, this is making a clear reference to God. That's what this is talking about. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, one of the many places that you can find this, but in Isaiah 44, 6, it says this. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Listen today. Jesus is standing as the resurrected, reigning Savior of the world, and he stands and he says, I am God. I am before all things. I will be after all things. He is saying, I am infinitely God. I am eternally God. Jesus says here very clearly, I 
am God. And let me tell you, we can't fully get all of that. We can't fully understand the depth of all of that. But what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is saying, I have no origin. No one or no thing is responsible for me. Thus, I have no limits. I have no limitations. I am infinite. He is saying here, I am the fullness of God. Who is talking to John? Who is proclaiming the message? Who stands in the midst of the churches? Whose are the churches anyways? It is no less than God himself. Jesus says he is God. Listen to me today. Any belief set that declares Jesus was or is anything less than eternally God is a lie. Jesus says here, I am God. When the Mormons come along and they look nice and they look pleasant and they say, you know what, he was a man who became a God, it's a lie. Jesus says, I am eternally God. I am God. Jesus says, I'm eternally God. That's deep. Here's the deep part. Who was dead and has come to life. It literally translates into Greek, the one who became dead and lives again. Jesus, eternally God, always infinitely God, says that he took on flesh and died and became dead and is alive again. Do you hear that? He's saying as the eternal, infinite God, he took on flesh and he became dead and he is alive again. I thought about this and I thought about that. Eternal God becomes man and dies and then is alive. Now, what can that mean? What does that mean for us today? What does that mean? Stay with me. It means Jesus is always and was always God. But in his incarnation, in his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is the lamb who came to save. He is the kinsman who is able to save. He is the redeemer who does save. He is the victor who has saved. He is the salvation offered to mankind. It means in the person of Jesus, he is the light where there was none. He was their way when we were looking for one. He was the word when we were searching for one. It means he is God. He is Christ. He is the anointed Savior. And so Jesus says, if you want to know who's speaking to you, I am your Savior God. What an awesome picture of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm eternally God and all the fullness that it is and I am your Savior and I came and took on flesh and I died for sin and I'm alive forevermore. I am your Savior, God. We're not even to the message yet. What an awesome picture of Jesus. Next, the message. The first thing we see here is the attack on the truth. The attack on the truth. Verse nine. I know your tribulation and your poverty, 
but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus, eternal Savior God, says, I know. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. He knows. Here you sit today. Our Savior, eternal God, knows. In the Greek, it means to see. It means to be aware. It literally means to grasp, to take in. And so Jesus says, I know. Listen, he's not somewhere distant. He's not somewhere, he's not participating. He's not somewhere he can't see. The Savior, eternal God says, I know, I see, I behold. I know your tribulation. Tribulation means pressure. It literally translates to be hemmed in, to have no escape, to be squeezed. He says, I know your tribulation." They've set a date, and if you're not going to come and you're not going to sacrifice Domitian, you're going to be executed and set for execution on that day. He says, I know your tribulation. They've done all these things against you. You're under the threat of death. Many are going to die. He says, I see, I know your tribulation, the pressure, you're hemmed in. He says, in your poverty. It's interesting, the Greek word here is not for poorness. There's There's a Greek word for poorness. But the word poverty here is to be deprived of the necessities of life. I see you have no food. I see you have no clothing. I see you have no housing. The, The common word would be used for a beggar when you see him and they're destitute. So he says, I don't just see your poorness. I don't see that you're suffering. He says, I see that you're destitute. You have no food, no clothing. Many had lost their ability to work because of their faith in Christ. Many had lost their ability to trade because of their faith in Christ. Many of them had had their goods snatched up and taken away because of their faith in Christ. And so they're not just poor trying to eke out a living. They are destitute because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews but they are not. Now these were Jews by race. They were Jews who hated Jesus. And so now they hate the followers of Jesus. Blasphemy, that word in the original language means, listen, slander, evil speaking. But then it carries this thought with it. Seeking to destroy by words. It literally means this. To bring to ruin with words. Listen, it wasn't just mere gossip. It wasn't just malicious talk and negative talk. It wasn't just gossip that was spreading around. Their intent because of the hatred of their heart was to literally ruin, to literally destroy. They were agents of Satan. That's what Jesus says. And he says they were seeking to use their words to bring them to total ruination. He says, I see the blasphemy. Be sure today, the truth will always be attacked. The truth is divisive. The truth is uncomfortable. 
The truth is convicting. The truth is inconvenient. So the truth is always attacked. The truth will always be attacked. Today, it's going to be attacked. Jesus says, I know, I see, I grasp where you're at. I see the troubles. I see that you're hemmed in. I see the surrounding armies around you. I see the lies and the slander that seek to bring you to ruin. I see that you're destitute. Jesus says, I know where you're at. And so we see the attack on the truth. Second thing we see is the attacker of the truth. The attacker of the truth. Let me read verse 9 again, the first half of verse 10. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Understand this. Be sure of this. The enemy is Satan. The enemy is Satan himself. Satan cannot stand the truth, and so he attacks the truth. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Satan can't stand the truth, so what does he do? He launched an attack on the truth. One of the ways that he attacks the truth is to attack the agents of the truth. In this case, it was this poor, destitute, persecuted church. He would attack the agents of the truth. Now listen, people were Satan's agents. People were Satan's tools as instruments, but the enemy is Satan. We've seen this for three weeks now, four weeks. The church is a supernatural thing. I hope we take that out of this series The church is a supernatural thing. It's not like a club. It's not like a business. It's not like anything else. The church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural thing. Yes, it's a supernatural thing, but the church has a supernatural enemy in Satan. Understand, be clear in that. The church is supernatural, but the church has a supernatural enemy. The enemy is Satan. You know who hates Calvary Baptist Church? You know who wants to end the influence of Calvary Baptist Church? You know who wants Calvary Baptist Church to be a flash that that came and went and everybody chuckles about it? Satan himself. Satan is the attacker of the church. Third thing we see, the result of the attack. The result of the attack. Now, this is going to be good, so stay with me here. The result of the attack. Verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. I'm going to stop right there. Get this. It's really not what we expect here. Jesus says it is bad. I see the tribulation. I see your destitute. I see the slander and the blasphemy that's trying to bring you to ruin. Jesus says, it is bad, it is bad. I see, I understand, it is bad. Jesus says this, it's about to get worse. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer now. Do you understand the state that he finds them in? Do you understand the hurt that he finds them in? He says, I know that it's bad, but listen, it's about to get worse. 
Do not fear what you're about to suffer. There's going to be more tribulation. He says some of you are going to go to prison. It's going to get worse. My heart says, why? Honestly, that's what my heart says. My heart says, why? Why? Why Why this much trouble? Why this much? Do you listen to the condition of these folks? Why this much? Hadn't they had enough? Hadn't they had enough? Why? This is not fair. This is not right. Why? Why not spare them, Lord Jesus? Why not lift them out of it, Lord Jesus? Do you see the condition of them? Oh, why? It's not right. It's not fair. How much is enough? Why? Why? That's what I want to know. Why? I'll show you why. He says, so that you will be tested. It translates proved. I want you to notice this. This church has no reprimand from Christ. You notice that this church has no correction from Christ. Last week he said, I have this against you. You left your first love. I have this against you, Jesus says. Next week he's going to say, I have this against you. That's what Jesus says. He has no correction for this church. It's not so in Smyrna. It's because in tribulation, the non essential really becomes non essential. It's because in tribulation, hard tribulation, it's in in tribulation the things that aren't going to last, the things that aren't going to matter anyway. In tough tribulation, those things are stripped away. Understand there is purity that comes out of tribulation. Strength is built in tribulation. There is clarity in revelation that comes in tribulation. There is Christ-likeness that is shaped and it's built in tribulation. You see, the uncommitted, they're going to run in tribulation. The hypocrite, they're going to be revealed in tribulation. The self-promoters, those that would use Christ to self-promote, they're never going to stand, not in tribulation. The worldly, they're going to cave in tribulation. Those that are waning in their love for Jesus Christ, they're not going to endure, they're not going to be able to. And so to build this church to stand, so to build these people that would endure and for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out, that there would be a light that would shine in a dark city and in a dark age, he proves them in tribulation. Listen, there is a result to the attack and it's purity and it's holiness and it's strength and it's resolve and it's commitment and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ stands because this little group of people were refined in great tribulation. And so last today, we see the attack on the truth. We see the attacker of the truth. We see the result of the attack. The last thing we see is this, the victory from the attack. The victory from the attack. Let me read the rest of verse 10 and verse 11. Be faithful unto death. 
and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says that. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's talking to the church, but it's an individual decision. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. See this. Satan can't take and he can't destroy a true saving faith. Now, I want you to hear that today. There's not a lot of folks saying that. Listen, Satan can do a lot of things. Satan can hurt and Satan can harm and he can hinder. But listen, Satan cannot take and he cannot destroy a true saving faith. Be very sure today It is not in persevering that you are saved. It is because you are saved that you persevere. Let me show you something here. Jesus says, and I will give you the crown of life. There's two words that are used in the Greek, two Greek words for crown. One of them is diadema. Bring forth the royal diadem, diadema. It is talking about a royal crown. It is talking about a king's crown, a queen's crown, a crown that's made out of gold and would have many jewels around it. It's talking about a royal crown, not this crown. It is the word Stephanos. It means the victor's crown. It comes from an athlete, listen, who runs and runs and keeps running and keeps running and endures and endures and endures and they finish the race and maybe they fail, maybe they trip, but they ran and they ran and maybe it was hot and maybe they were tired and there was tribulation and there was destitution along the way, but they ran and they ran and they ran and they endured and they finished and Jesus says, I will give to you the Stephanus, the victor's crown for enduring and finishing the race. Verse six, Jesus says, but you are rich. To these beat up, marked up, roughed up, faithful people, Jesus, eternal God, our eternal Savior says, I see your troubles. I see that you've done without, but you have what really matters. You are rich. Do you see the point? Jesus says, oh, I see you. I see it's tough, but you have what matters. Oh, it's, 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 it's gut-wrenching. It's hard. You're hurt, but you have what matters. You don't know if you're going to make it. Hang on, because you have what matters. Listen, what really matters, the grace of God, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, it is hard. It is tough, but you keep running, sister. You keep running, brother, because waiting on you is a victor's crown when you finish the race. Yes, it's hard, but you have what? What matters? Listen to me. We have what matters. You have what matters. 
I debated on saying this, but I'm going to be very real. Our goal, my goal, is that God would use this for his church, to grow his church, to encourage his church, to strengthen his church today. Satan has attacked Calvary Baptist Church. Satan has attacked Calvary's Baptist Church. And let me just say this. I don't expect it's going to stop. In fact, Jesus told them it's going to get worse. And you know what we need today? We need people that will say this. We have what matters. And we will endure. And we will keep on. And we will serve to the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That one day, we will have a finisher's, a victor's crown. Greatest thing for this church, say, you know what? I am resolved. You know what? I have what I need. You know what? We will persevere in the power of Christ for the glory of Christ. We have what matters. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come today, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for a picture of my Savior, Jesus. And whatever my life looks like today, however hard I might think it is, whatever the situations that we are going through today, that if we'll but pick up our eyes and we'll see our Savior, Jesus, eternally God, infinitely God, eternally God, but also our Savior, the eternal Savior who took on flesh and died as a kinsman redeemer to save us back. Lord, we're so thankful. I'm so thankful for such a Savior. Praise the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, that do not have that hope, that do not have that peace. I pray that today is the day of their salvation. Today they they turn and they repent of their sin. They put their eyes upon Jesus and they claim him as their Savior, their Lord, and they profess their faith. Lord, I pray that you'd move in a tremendous way. I pray for us as a church today. I pray as we hear of these folks that we would understand our call hasn't changed, our mission hasn't changed, our Lord hasn't changed, our Savior hasn't changed. We have what we need today. We would step out and we'd be a bright light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for folks in this room and as we see you speak to the church, but it's an individual decision. I pray for some that are hurting. I pray for some that have gone through troubles. I pray that today that we would have the assurance that in Jesus Christ we have what we need. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.